WBZ original. Good dog. Good girl. She's just fantastic. We'll get, a, we'll get an official photo. Yeah, stop smiling. Yeah. Yes. So, John, what kind of dog do you have? A yellow lab. Yellow lab. Purebred yellow lab. I've heard yeah. of that breed. Yeah. I have a Jack yeah. Russell. <laughs> the classic. And what do you have? Irish Jack Russell Terrier. Uh, Terriers look in the mirror and see God. I call him yes. dyslexic. Instead yes. of dog, it says God. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to Studio BZ, Season 3, Episode 5 now. We're glad you're here with us. I'm Paula Eben. And I am Leah Martin. And I'm John Keller. And something about a football game coming up this weekend? A little bit weekend. of a one. A little bit of a one. The Super Bowl is coming up on Sunday. The Patriots, a local sports organization. Are they really? Noted by our producer, Jonathan, <laughs> um, are in Atlanta. And so is our own Levin Reed. So delightful. And we're going to mm-hmm. talk to him about what to look for as the Pats... The His score predictions, some behind-the-scenes stuff mm-hmm. there in Atlanta. It's not going to be all sports because we know you get. And the answer to the question everybody wants to know: Why does he wear always wear a rose on his lapel? Yes, so we're really digging deep on that one. And then everybody knows that whenever your city is in a Super Bowl, you get a big economic boost, a lot of chicken wings and mm-hmm. and beer flying out the door and so forth. Well, um, uh, so we thought this was also a good time to talk a little more broadly about our economy. Where are we? Where are we headed? Are the boom times over? What about the housing crisis around here? All that and more with Jay Ash. Insiders in Beacon Hill know him very well. Uh, former top uh, staff official within the State House, became city manager of Chelsea, then uh, secretary of housing and economic development under Governor Baker in the first term, just started a new gig with the Massachusetts Competitive Partnership an organization of big-time CEOs that plot strategy and take public positions on economic issues will take the pulse of the local economy with Jay Ash coming up. And then we have a dog trainer, Tom Shelby, and his dog, Paula Jean, not to be confused with Paula Margaret, our our lovely Paula Margaret Eben next to me here. So throughout the rest of this podcast, I will be referring referring to you as Paula Margaret. And Paula Jean will be in studio with us. He's going to give us some tips, the three commands that any good dog owner should know. And unlike the other Paula, I bet she's a good girl. (laughs) That's for another podcast. John Keller. Hey, what's up? How you doing? Levin Levin. Reed. Hello, Levin. How's it going, Liam? Hello, Levin. Levin and I, for people Um, who don't know, have this sort of Seinfeld Newman thing going on. It began. How did it begin again, Levin? That you and I started hating each other was when we argued. You're hateable. When you well, I am hateable. But you and I argued years ago about whether or not Pete Rose should be inducted into the Hall of Fame, and forever since we have had this bitter rivalry. Although in, in truth, we actually sure. we actually love each other. I don't know why you bring this up in, in, in situations where I, I'm trying to talk to you and be civil. And be civil. And also, when the Let's... love of my life, Paula Evans, on the other side, I don't want her to see me in a bad light. See, um, when Liam... I'm going to just literally yeah. beat yeah. you senseless with yes. this. Yeah. While Liam has a tense, roiling relationship with Levin, <laughs> Levin and I share nothing but deep love. Yeah, this is true. Hey, exactly. So exactly. how's it going there, buddy? It's uh, John Keller, Paul and I all talking with you. Um, obviously, the media night for the Patriots was last night. How's everything going? Um, you know, it's been pretty fantastic, to be honest with you. And, and it, I, it reminds me of my first Super Bowl I got a chance to cover with the team, where they're basically, I feel like they're new. Um, because they feel reborn. And it was one of those things that, you know, this team, many didn't think they were going to be as good as they are right now, or mm-hmm. they were supposed to get here. And that's the feeling. That underdog thing is pretty big. Mm. Guys love it. Guys don't like to be the favorite. I didn't realize it until this time around. They didn't want to be the favorite. And they're kind of just grasping on it, and they feel good about themselves. So how much help has that imbecile from the Rams Mr. Uh, uh, Phantom pass interference from the the Saints game. How much of a favor has he done the Pats by mouthing off about how Brady is washed up? I, I will say this to you that he yesterday backtracked like you know like uh, like me trying to guard Brady. You know, <laughs> backtracked so hard out there because my thought process was why would you make yourself a target? You know, now Tom Brady is going to be like, where are you? Uh, 
Coleman. Okay, I'm going to throw to your side on third down and make sure that you're going to have to guard Julian Edelman. Well, for These a guys guy, step into it every time. And for a guy who couldn't guard that Rams, that, that Saints <laughs> receiver to last week, he's got some nerve. You, you have to imagine, too, that anything thrown his way, if he breathes too heavy right. on somebody, yeah, right. they're going to call a pass interference call. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, because of, as it is, the, the, the bearing of the New Orleans legislature is definitely the NFL for, <laughs> to replay this game as it is right now. So anything that happens that this guy thinks that it's thrown his way, like if he ties his shoe wrong and trips, I'm pretty sure that's a 15-yard penalty. <laughs> He's kept it's a new rule they're coming out with, the Coleman rule. Hey, you know what I noticed last night, Levin? I'm curious to see your observation uh, in person there. I, I noticed the NFL t- has turned media day into media night, and it's this whole fan experience now and they have this sort of catwalk for the players. When Gronk came in, it was like throwback Gronk. His hat was on sideways. He was dancing. He looked like the old Gronk and very loose and very happy. Do you notice something going on with him? One, I was extremely nervous that he might hurt his back. <laughs> Stop <laughs> dancing, dancing, Gronk. And I was like, I was like, Gronk, don't hurt yourself, please. Whatever you do, don't get injured up there. But two, I think they're all pretty loose, including Gronk. This could be the first time maybe this season that Gronk feels comfortable. And mm. you, you get that feeling. He looks like he enjoys playing football. Mm. He, he looks like he's having a good time. And Let's let's be honest. You, we've all seen the Patriots go to the Super Bowl enough times that they are, they they finally are enjoying it more than maybe they have in the past. Sure. I don't know if there's any pressure on them in this game. I don't feel like there's any pressure on mm. them. I feel like they feel like they're playing with house money, which is so odd to say, <laughs> you know, yeah. because of who they are and who they have on their team. Yeah. Well, but I feel like they feel there's no pressure. And as for Gronk, you pointed out, Levin, if this is his role, right, blocking. More than uh, being hit and hitting, that might be just a fantastic role for him, and he's really happy there. I've been taking questions on whether I think he's going to retire or not, and I said maybe up until four games ago I thought he was, and all of a sudden I don't think so. All of a sudden I think if this is the role you want Gronk to play, and he's not going to get injured, well then you know what, game on. <laughs> Let's mm. do that. Let's sign a more deal for that. Speaking of retirement, uh, Brady was asked on ESPN as he is every time he does an interview about whether or not this might be his last game. I think we have the audio to play, Jonathan. Is there any chance that this is your last game? Zero. <laughs> zero. Say it. I don't want to just say There's it. zero. Yeah, okay. there's zero. I've said that for a long time. I feel like I'm I asked know. that a lot, and I feel like I repeat the same answer, but no one wants to believe me. I feel but... like one of the coaches in the AFC East like trying to tell you, are you sure this is not the I know. Not the end? I know. I just, you know, I've, I've set a goal for myself at 45, and like I said before, it's very hard to make it that far. I know how hard it was this year, you know, and the commitment it takes. And hopefully I've learned from some of the things that happened this year. So what do you think he was talking about? Do you think he was talking about... I can tell you I can tell you exactly what he was talking about. Today in today's press conferences, he talked about laying out um, his, his off-season program, where mm-hmm. his body has again changed. He talked about how he already knows what he's going to do for his off-season program. He's already comfortable with how the future is set up for next year and the year beyond. Well, maybe he didn't know that last year going into this year. Maybe this was a bridge year to figure out what he had to do. Because obviously he came into the year. I'm not saying he wasn't prepared, but he wasn't ready for 41 prepared. Let's do that. And now it's a little bit of a change. Um, I also think somebody's extremely calculated about how he handles his body and how he handles these things. He wants to play forever. And all these questions, I feel if every... Every coach is like, hey, if you get a chance to talk to Tom Brady, guess what? Just ask him if he's going to retire. If Tom Brady shows up at a Starbucks, <laughs> if he shows up at a Starbucks, and he's like, you know what, Tom? Here's some luck. Are you retiring? You know, he just, it's just one of those things that people are trying to be the first one to get the story that Tom Brady's going to retire. Um, and I, I, I think we've never seen this before. We're seeing Babe Ruth. Mm. This is what we're seeing. My, I was growing up, and my dad was like, you know, you're never going to see anybody like Jim Brown. And I was like, okay. And now I'm like, you know, we can say, well, you're never going to, and you're never going to see anyone like Tom Brady. No but, one is ever going to go to nine Super Bowls more than any other franchise. You know, if, if he wins this, this Super Bowl, he'll have six Super Bowl championships tied with all the other franchises for the most. I mean, you're not going to see this again. Hey, Levin, I, I took uh, Buddy the Wonder Lab for a nice hour-long walk yesterday, and I had on Los Angeles Sports Talk on my smartphone. 
because I'm a Bostonian, and that's what Boston sports fans do. We troll the competition <laughs> constantly. <laughs> and Absolutely. I, in Absolutely. an hour's time, I didn't hear a single phone call or comment from the knucklehead co-hosts about the Rams. Is there any evidence of Rams fans at, in Atlanta? <laughs> and if so, are, are they are they conscious? What's the story? <laughs> There's, I mean, it's hard for them to have a fan base when they just got there. I had to do something for Los Angeles also, and they said, what do you think is a better sports city? And I felt like I should have hung up the phone. I'm like, well, I don't even know why I'm wasting my time. Yeah, that's not even like a question. Yeah. Like, like, you just got a football team. How about you work, work through your infancy before you start yeah. here, okay? How about yeah. you do that? If your question um, is, what's a better uh, city it, for plastic it, surgery? The best, yeah. part, <laughs> the best part about all of that is that, you know, if you want to talk about Los Angeles Rams history, why don't you talk to Matthew Slater? He's on our team. His father is a Hall of Famer when you guys had a good team. Let's do that. Because <laughs> um, right now it's just Pats fans who are here, and they're they're, they're trickling and slowly but surely. And it, as weird as it may seem, I mean, they, uh, they, a lot of people hated New Orleans Saints here in Atlanta. They don't mind the Patriot fans is what's going on, and we know the Pats fans are going to travel. I'm not sure how the LA Rams fans are going to get here. Well, I also got to ask you about that stadium down in Atlanta. It looks like somebody <laughs> backed over their kid's Rubik's Cube in the driveway with their MCB. <laughs> what is the story with that thing? I, I, I will tell you this. It looks like the Millennium Falcon or something like that. Something mm-hmm. from a Star Wars movie where, you know, I'm waiting for the top to open. I was standing outside it, and they went to me in a live shot yesterday, and I was almost mesmerized by what I thought this could be. I mean, it, it looks so different. And I'm sure when I finally get inside, it's going gonna, it's gonna to blow my mind. But at the same time, everybody says it's fantastic. It, it looks a lot. <laughs> it looks, it's a it lot. looks like, you know, this, this is me. If, if you were to say, Levin, do you want to walk on the red carpet? Or would you like to show up with your best friends and go to a nice pub down on Newberry Street and have a couple of drinks? I'm probably going to go to the pub. This is a red carpet. Everybody walking up to another person going, hey, what are you wearing? Which, again, the, if you guys know me, I'm like, I really don't know what that means. It's <laughs> the know, Southern Bell Stadiums. You know, everybody's trying to worry about their, their calories and everything like that. Yeah. Yeah. But this, is, this is one of those arenas. When you ask Levin... What is he wearing? He's actually wearing something he <laughs> sewed himself. He is made. Literally, no. Levin sews his own <laughs> stuff. I'm not even kidding. About that. Why, why do you wear a rose, Levin, on the air? On his lapel. Okay, so I will tell you this. I'll tell you. This is just between this. Like, I can share this with you guys because you guys are my good friends. Yeah, I no one's going to hear this. So. With the lapel. I struggled with the lapel handkerchief, like, and I'm and I'm so anal about my clothing that I kept looking down on it, and it would shift to the left and shift to the right, oh. and I was I just started to hate my jackets. So I tried a lapel flower because one, everybody was stepping up their lapel game, and I was like, well, why should I not step up my game? I will not be left and behind. Two, <laughs> I'm not going to be left behind. Please. <laughs> and two, um, when I started doing it, I sent it. I sent the the, the people who sent it to me. I sent them a you know a picture of it, and I was getting a lot of responses, and they sent me a boatload. Nice. <laughs> they sent me more than I could ever use in a lifetime. That's what you call a swag. Let me read a quick, quick, quick score prediction from the <laughs> Quick score prediction, if you can. What do you think? Yeah. It's still early, but I, I, again, the Patriots always play close games. I'm not sure this one's going to be as close. I have them winning, let's say, 34-20. Okay, and wow. I should I should say Levin Reed was within one point yes. of the AFC Championship score. He had predicted thirty eight thirty one. If they had had to kick the extra point there, yeah. your your yeah. prediction is right on. So I think also, that's right. I think Pats yeah. will cover. Oh yeah. yeah. As the week goes on, I, 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 will, I will tell you this though: if you guys get a chance, check out the water bottle that Tom Brady is using lately. Really? <laughs> it was yesterday I said at the the media night, and then today, if you look at the interviews at the beginning where he goes to drink water, he's drinking from a look like a five liter water of water. I'm like, I don't know what's in there. I'm sure it's got electrolytes, but it's, he's like, it's, I feel like he's carrying a bubbler with him. No, the that's how he doesn't want to get a unbelievable. Sun, he doesn't want to get a sunburn, he's right? That's, a, that's how he, that's <laughs> how he avoids <laughs> sunburns. Yeah. He drinks yeah. lots and lots of Yeah. So listen, Levin, before we let you go, uh, obviously the game is on WBZ, uh, Sunday kickoff round 630. Oh, what opportunities will we have to catch the great analysis and reporting of you, Steve Burton, and Danny Roach between now and kickoff? Well, you, you figure between now and kickoff, every day 
from 5, 6, 8, right. 11, whether it be on WBZ or TV 38. Okay. You'll catch us on Friday. We have an hour post. We have the regular shows, and then we do an hour special from 7 to 8. On, on Saturday, you have Patriots All Access, which will catch you up from 7 to 8 for another hour. And then on Sunday, the Patriots game day is from two hours from 11 to 1. You catch us on Twitter or any of these podcasts that we're doing. We're trying to help out. I mean, this is one of those things where – if you, if you want to know who does it best, and I mean this, the Boston media does this best, the Super Bowls, because guess what? Practice We've makes perfect. Them, at we're glad you're on our team, Levin. And Liam and I are going to be anchoring from here Sunday night uh, right after the game. So. so let's hope it's a celebration. Levin let's Reed, hope. hydrate, have some avocado toast. Relax. Uh, get one of those five-liter Tom Brady bottles of water. Find get a pub. ready for the game. And uh, we love you. I also hate you a little bit, but I, I, I love you mostly. And love uh, you, have Lev. a good time out there, Lev. And if you do run across a Rams fan by accident, send him a message from me. You stink. And so does your city. I'm going to do everything you said. And Liam, I thought we had a moment in Kansas City when we were freezing to death. Yeah, we did. Um, so we I did know have a moment. That we're getting closer because we both decided that we couldn't hate in that much cold. So it's, that's in, awesome. it's inching closer. I needed your warmth. You needed my warmth. Yikes. It was, uh, it was, it was it a plane, trains, yeah. and automobile situation? It was a situation. Good All luck, right. Levin. Yes, yes, it was. <laughs> okay, thank you, guys. Levin, I'm not afraid of change. I'm afraid of the lack of change. Well, if you've gone out house hunting or apartment hunting lately, or you're unemployed and looking for a job, or just a little bit worried about making ends meet, uh, obviously the local economy, the local housing situation is front and center on your mind. And uh, our, our next guest is somebody who has studied this as intensely as anyone on Beacon Hill, the former Secretary of Housing and Economic Development, now CEO of the Mass Competitive Partnership, Jay Ash. So, Jay, if you could, if you were a little bit older, would you retire now knowing what you know about where the national and local economy is headed over the next couple of years? Well, it starts with I never want to retire, so that's, <laughs> okay. that's number one. I, I'm a rather You bored. will when you get a little older, uh, believe me. You know, John, I don't play golf. I don't read. I don't like the garden. What I like to do is I like to talk to people about the economy. So if there's a retirement place somewhere where I can do that, then I will do that. Uh, you go into any retirement home in the state and yeah. you can – find a, a, a captive audience <laughs> yeah. for whatever you want to talk about. Yeah, um, I, you know, Massachusetts is a great place to live. And neighboring states uh, give you uh, lots of options as well. We do recognize that people are working longer, um, that Social Security is not um, the guarantee that it once was for our parents' generation, um, and that um, costs keep on going up and up and up. Because we have, and I'm, I'm sure uh, Jonathan Case, our producer, is going to yell at me later for talking about a topic that probably doesn't hit our demographic that's listening to this podcast. But you know what, folks? We're all going to get old one day. And it is my understanding that we are a, a seriously aging population here, that the numbers of people over 60 has been growing fast. Uh, and that raises all sorts of questions about the balance between services and revenues, and the ability of our state to stay competitive. And that's what you're all about these days, right? Economic competitiveness? Sure. Is, this, is the graying of our state a, a big issue? Massachusetts, yeah. There's a, uh, there's a population here that is getting older and older. But um, the innovation that's taking place here, the technology that's taking place here, um, the great quality of life that we have here is attracting more and more people. And while there was a time when people couldn't wait to get out of Massachusetts and go south, the fact of the matter is that climate change and other factors are making South hotter. The jobs aren't as plentiful, and people are valuing education and innovation and technology and are coming back to the Northeast and specifically Boston. You talk about all the young people coming to greater Boston, and we've always been a magnet, and, and certainly are now. Where are they going to live? I mean, I live not far from the Alewife Fresh Pond area, which has been a seen a, just a huge explosion of rental and condominium housing aimed at younger people. And, uh, you know, I interact with them, and some of these housing units are nice, high quality. Some are not. Uh, are we reaching a, a critical mass here where 
it's going to be so expensive and so hard to find a decent place to live that the influx might abate? Yeah, um, so far it hasn't happened. So I remember my father back in the day when I told him I was uh, paying $194,000 for a house in Saga saying, what are you, crazy? I went on to sell that house for $250,000 and bought another house that appreciated and another house after that that appreciated. Yeah. So uh, there are people that uh, will stand on the sidelines and continue to howl about the uh, high cost of housing. Um, I don't want to pretend that this is an official study, so please forgive me for this, but um, after hearing this over and over again that a high cost of housing was going to somehow affect our economy, I decided to look at some data. So um, I found one data set that looked at the most inexpensive city in the United States to live in. Most inexpensive city to live in um, turned out to be Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, Birmingham, Alabama is one of 245 middle cities in the United States. And so most inexpensive place to live. And I was thinking, geez, I wouldn't change the Boston economy with the Birmingham, Alabama economy. But I needed to figure that out, too. So I found that a separate set of data that uh, looked at uh, the economic vitality of cities. And, and sure enough, while Birmingham, Alabama was number one to is the least expensive place to live in. It was number 241 on an economic vitality index. Conversely, when you go the other way and you look at the, the places where um, there's rich, vibrant economy taking place, they're all places like Boston and New York and San Francisco and places that have high costs. So the challenge, I think, is to continue to build housing. But frankly, John, if you told me I had a dollar to spend, I'd spend it on transportation. I'd make more places that are affordable, accessible, as opposed to trying to figure out how to shoehorn in more housing in Boston. Um, great that the mayor is con uh, committed to building more housing. It's great that the governor is committed to uh, building more housing. It's great that there are public policy efforts to help make housing easier to build here. But boy, there are lots of places that are inexpensive that if we could improve the transportation to them, perhaps we'd uh, solve our own affordable housing problem. Okay, so since you're playing emperor here and you're calling the shots, <laughs> yep. uh, you say you'd rather spend the money on transportation. What kind of transportation? Because, you know, here we are, how long ago was the, the big dig begun? Almost 40 years now. No, 30 years. Early, I'm, I'm late, not as old as you, John. Late judge, 80s, so. early 90s, yeah. okay? Yep. There was a lot of talk about how, look, this might be the last of the big projects aimed at improving vehicle access. And we're going to focus more on getting people out of their cars and SUVs. Well, here we are. Fast forward to 2019. I pick up my paper the other day. The state's talking about billions of dollars yes. uh, being spent to lower the Mass Pike extension down to ground level, elevate Soldiers Field Road uh, to unlock a new neighborhood in, in the train yards there. But um, there's almost no, uh, yeah, there will be a new commuter rail station as part yes, of it. Yes, there will be. But it seems to me we're still talking the same talk. We're still accentuating the primacy of the car over mass transit. Is I that think, fair or not? Um, I think you need to worry about both. You need to worry about today, but you need to worry about the future. There are, there are many people that are excited about autonomous vehicles and what that will do. I saw one study that suggested that when autonomous vehicles are adopted by society, that uh, it'll reduce the amount of parking spaces needed by 50%, for example. Think about what that would do in a place like Boston or elsewhere. Um, so we can all point to the future. The governor has a future of transportation commission that um, is looking at those issues. But we also need to deal with the uh, here and now. Uh, the fact of the matter is that that portion of, of the turnpike is um, crumbling and needs to be addressed. Um, the opportunities to be unlocked around there by um, uh, constructing a project that allows you to promote not millions of square feet, but tens of millions of square feet of development in a, in a place like Boston that wants to see another place where it can grow. Actually, uh, I would argue that that's going to provide more for the economy than uh, act as a drag. And so I'm excited about um, thinking about what we can do today. And uh, uh, the governor is, is proposing a, a capital plan that will spend more on transportation improvements than ever before. A fair question would be, um, do we need to build new things or do we need to fix what we have? And um, I think there's a healthy combination of both. Um, uh, the governor, I've heard the governor say more than one time, Governor Baker say more than one time, that um, when when he's done with his plan, the capacity on the T will double. That's fabulous. That's great news for anyone who takes uh, the T. Um, on the other hand, we know that the T doesn't go to places that it should, or commuter rail doesn't go to places that it should. So um, looking at um, finalizing the commitment to extend the green line to, to Somerville, a, a, a place that's growing, and, and bring um, South Coast Rail down to New Bedford and Fall River are exciting as well. You mentioned autonomous vehicles, self-driving cars. Yes. 
Would you put your wife in one of those? Uh, not today. Uh, well, first, first I have to say I love my wife. So let's, that's what let's, I mean. Let's I, establish I, that. Yes. I assume that. Yes, yes, exactly. I love my wife, so no, I would not today. But um, would I? Twenty years from now, so I'm. Uh, so there's some people who believe that autonomous vehicles are going to happen sooner rather than yeah, later. Yeah, that's what um, we keep hearing. I'm not. I'm not a five year away guy. I think there's a lot to happen. There's an interesting thing happening about autonomous vehicles here in Massachusetts. Um, we are not the Detroit uh, of uh, building cars, but we could be the Detroit of autonomous vehicles. And the technology, the technology is more important than the vehicle itself. And when you think about technology, you think about Massachusetts. The innovation and technology uh, that is happening at MIT or UMass Lowell or WPI or other places uh, has us as a player in the autonomous vehicle uh, world. The funny thing about it is that the autonomous vehicle companies are coming to Massachusetts for us people because of our talent, but also because we're terrible drivers. And to paraphrase an old song, if you can drive it here, you can drive it anywhere. And so uh, we have autonomous vehicles out on the streets now. Um, no incidents, no major accidents, no anything to report. Um, but they're finding out that, boy, is it tough to get around Boston, to, tough to get around double parkers and people who take what's called a Boston left. Uh, you take that left-hand turn through an intersection without it signalized so that you can go, um, things like that. So um, autonomous vehicles are going to happen, They're gonna, and they're going to happen because of what happens here in Massachusetts. It will transform uh, what happens um, uh, for our, our lifestyles, but that's still 10 or 20 years away, and so we need to fix what we have today, and governor's planning on doing that. All right, let's fast forward to 10, 20 years yes. from now when autonomous vehicle technology has uh, uh, supposedly uh, developed to the point where it's viable. Yeah. Uh, is this going to be like uh, other innovations in the past where the technology and the brain power is here, but the manufacturing happens somewhere else? It's possible, but... Um, Today's economy values innovation, and that plays to our sweet spot. So what you see more and more of is you see uh, the hub of innovation becoming a place where people are now thinking about bringing manufacturing uh, because they want manufacturing, the manufacturing people, to be able to interact with the researchers, to be able to go to each other's uh, locations and learn from each other and uh, develop the next best widget. So will we build every aspect of the car? No, but uh, there are companies like uh, Newtonomy, uh, there are companies like Optimus Ride that are operating here in Massachusetts, places like MIT, which are largely responsible for the uh, innovation that takes place here in Boston, that will contribute to that industry and give us the right place within that industry. We won't build cars, but we'll build all the smarts that go in those cars. Well, one of the real uh, uh, cutting-edge innovations of all this technological brain power is automation. And just the other day, I was reading about how one of the members of the competitive partnership, State Street Corp, big financial services uh, uh, firm, uh, announced they're going to cut 15% of their senior executive workforce, largely due to innovations in automation. And this kind of raised my little eyebrows, Jay, because it's the first time, and maybe I haven't been close enough attention, it's the first time I'd heard about automation replacing these big-time white-collar jobs. You've been hearing about it for years on the production line at uh, car companies. Uh, but this, to me, signals an acceleration of the encroachment of automation on the workforce. And I've read studies in the past that suggest that, for instance, automated vehicles, to get back to that, if it ever gets to the point where it's replacing trucking and so forth, long-haul trucking, uh, you could be talking about hundreds and hundreds of thousands of jobs vanishing pretty quickly once this technology reaches critical mass. Do you share any of this nightmare scenario, or is it even a nightmare? Uh, let's say I'm concerned, but I don't think it's a nightmare. So, uh, you know, I, I answer questions through stories, but I, I just started watching on Netflix uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yeah. What I noticed was every building that the uh, title character goes into had an elevator operator in it. When was the last time you were in a building that had an elevator operator? Long time. A long time. Um, and so there are times when um, technology uh, renders obsolete a certain segment of the job market. Elevator operators no longer exist. Where did all those guys, mostly, uh, probably all guys, go uh, to work? And um, they went to work somewhere else. Um, 
I'm a believer that automation is going to improve our lives and give us opportunities to focus our human capital on even higher and better things to do. And so I think here in Massachusetts, we've shown an, an ability to do that. Governor, uh, one of my favorite jokes from Governor Baker, uh, secret of uh, the Massachusetts economy, we help establish two great institutions. He was talking about Harvard and MIT, and then you wait 200 years. For 200 years, we've been automating here. We've been uh, innovating here, and uh, the results have been spectacular. Uh, you keep mentioning Governor Baker, and uh, he uh, campaigned twice on the notion that this was not an administration that was interested in broad-based tax hikes, yeah, sure. sales tax, sure. capital gains tax, so forth and so on. However, as he acknowledges, he's not averse to tax hikes that are more targeted. Just the other day, he proposed an increase in the real estate transfer tax that you pay when you sell uh, your, your property. Uh, to help cities and towns uh, spend money on climate change, on, on combating the effects of climate change. And there's a whole laundry list of other taxes, Airbnb taxes, uh, marijuana taxes. Et the opioid one is really Opio interesting to me, the idea okay. that we have a problem around opioids, yep. and so those, therefore those who are uh, creating the problem by providing uh, the opioids get taxed so that we can use that to uh, deal with a misuse that is, is a good example of how a tax can go and solve a problem. Jay, I've saved the most important topic for last, uh -oh. and that is ice cream. You became famous through your Twitter feed as Secretary of Economic Development for sampling just about every ice cream stand in, in the Commonwealth. I felt it was important for me to do for the ice cream industry what we were mm -hmm. also doing for life sciences and the financial services industry. And right? did you order the same thing everywhere? Is that the way you did your research? So, um, you know, I drive my wife crazy. Whenever we go to an Italian restaurant, I always order chicken palm. And she says, you're so boring. And I said, no, I'm taking any factor out of the equation of figuring out whether this restaurant's a good restaurant. If you order the same thing every place, right. you can then judge how the restaurant is. So, uh, yes, I ordered the same chocolate frap. Chocolate frap. Although, uh -huh. John, I have to tell you that in some places in uh, the western part of the state, when I was in line asking for chocolate frap, uh, the uh, typically uh, young woman behind the counter would look at me quizzically, wondering what a frap was. You're kidding me. Uh, so I had to convert that to Western Mass lingo and ask for a chocolate milkshake. A mi they call it a milkshake it's, it's, in Western it's Mass? It's a milkshake in Western now, Mass. I know it's a cabinet in Rhode Island. Oh, I didn't know that. And uh, Oh, yeah. If they, you order a frap down there, they'll give you a frap, all right, <laughs> that being Rhode Island. But yeah. uh, So well, who makes the best frap in Massachusetts? Uh, so at the risk of... Um, you're in the private sector now. You I don't go have ahead, to worry about that. Rip. Yeah, I'm in the private sector common now, is what you said, what you meant. Um, so I would say that uh, Randall's Farm in Ludlow, Mass. Uh, what made their frap special? It was the right combination of thick but not so thick that you actually lost your brains as you were sucking in the frap. Right. Uh, ben and Bill's uh, fan down in Falmouth. Oh. I actually had, John, um, boy, are we going on too long about fraps? I no, actually had. Not. Actually, in fact, this is probably the only part of the interview that will make the podcast. Uh, believe it or not, I had two and three frap days um, on occasion um, as me. I was traveling around. Well, um, I became known for this, John. You've actually picked it up. So the people were doing me a favor, and I'm air quoting now, a favor by bringing fraps to wherever I was um, speaking. So I actually had three fraps in 16 hours at, uh, at one point Good in uh, Western Mass. So um, Mount Tom's in, uh, was a, a great frap in East Hampton and uh, Peaceful Metals in uh, Plymouth are, are awesome fraps. And locally here, when I uh, when I say I need a frap, it's uh, the old standby Tuscaninis in Cambridge. Uh, uh, Gus just does a wonderful job. And if you can't get to Gus's place in Cambridge, uh, you can see Gus's picture and sample his ice cream at any one of the Be Good restaurants, uh, the chain Be Good, that locally sources all of their uh, food products, including their ice cream. From you ever tried Pizzi Farms in Waltham? No, I have not. That's a seasonal stand. That's sort yep. of my go-to really? place. Okay. Very good frat. Uh, that sounds like a cheap family date. Though. It, it does. Yeah. It does. Jay Ash, CEO of the Massachusetts Competitive Partnership. Thanks for joining us here on Studio BC. John, thanks for having me. Our newscasters, our editors all work as an efficient, well-coordinated fact-finding team.
Okay, now for probably our favorite segment of the year because we have a dog right now in Studio BZ with us. Her name is Paula Jean. Again, to be distinguished from Paula Margaret, our uh, lovely <laughs> co-host here on the podcast. And Paula Jean's owner, Tom Shelby, has been a dog trainer for 40 years in New York and now on Martha's Vineyard. And he has a new book out called Dog Training Diaries, Proven Expert Tips and Tricks to Live in Harmony with Your Dog. Tom, thanks so much for coming in. We know you had to take the ferry in. Everything was okay, right? Thank you. Yes, every Everything was fine. And I imagine Paula Jean was very well behaved on the ferry because that's what you do. Yes, she was very well behaved <laughs> and, and is most of the time. Tell us about Paula Jean. <clears throat> well, Paula Jean is seven years old. I adopted her five years ago. I was at the chiropractor and I have a column on Martha's Vineyard, which is called Ask the Dog Charmer, where people send in their questions. And the chiropractor asked me if um, she had a patient there who could talk to me if she had problems with her dog. I ended up coming home with Paula. Um, I am now not allowed to go to the chiropractor anymore. That's, <laughs> that's done. And it's been replaced with acupuncture. And she was um, unsocialized. Uh, she lived in the woods kind of with a family. The husband didn't really want her. And she um, was what's called a nervous wetter. If mm. somebody looked at her, she would just release a little bit of urine and was very insecure. And um, I have, in the five years, increased her confidence quite dramatically. And she's wonderful. She's um, so happy. She's beautiful. very happy. She's a poodle, right? Yeah, she's a purebred poodle, poodle. And she's very, very sweet. Um, and very athletic. Uh, yeah. We She hasn't had her usual four or five mile run today, so she may be a little bouncy. But, uh, <laughs> she's currently <laughs> resting her head right now on our yes, social media manager, she, Allie's lap. She's, she's yes. She's, she's a lover. She's a, she's a lover. She's very cuddly, very sweet. Mm. And I listen, I love, I love what I do. It was Mark Twain who said, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Mm -hmm. And I... That's how I feel. Why are dogs so much better than people, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a fact. Well, I, yeah, you is. know, it's interesting you, you say that, John. I think one of the best social contracts man has ever made has been with a dog. Um, so much better. Um, when trained, they're cooperative because they really want to please. So most of the time I'd like to please my wife. Um, but there are people you meet you don't want to please. You know, it's uh, it's a pretty broad question, John. <laughs> yes, I know. I, <laughs> intentionally, yeah. And, and I had, before I moved here, eight to 900 appointments a year training, half for yeah. problem dogs. So many of those people initially were not feeling wire dogs so much right. better than people, right. that's right. for sure. Right. What originally brought you to training dogs as a young man? Has this always been your career? No, not at all. Um, Actually, we a bunch of us lived together in the 70s, which I, common, I, um, I, I like to refer to as animal house because we had a lot of animals. Not, <laughs> we weren't the animals. Ah. We had dogs and cats and birds and snakes and hamsters, etc. So we, we nicknamed it. And when we moved out of there, my wife and I, I said to myself, i got to get a job. And I saw an ad in the paper. It said, dog trainer wanted experience necessary. That seemed interesting, especially coming out of Animal House. So I called up, lied about my experience, <laughs> and got hired immediately. So I read a couple of books immediately on it, and I really never looked back. I've worked with really some of the best experts in the field and um, an awful lot of experience. And you say start with three commands that a dog should know in order to be considered well-trained. Stay, leave it and come. Yeah, well, Why those three and then will you, will you I, I don't know if I'd use the word start. These are three of the most important commands to me, especially if you're going to have a dog off leash. Um, and so many dogs that end up getting hit by cars because they saw a squirrel across the street and just dashed across. Mm -hmm. There are five to seven types of aggression depending on who you read and how you define. And one is predatory aggression. Have, has anybody here ever seen a blind person with a seeing eye dog being dragged down the street no. by the dog Never. to go after no. a squirrel? Never. Absolutely not. That's a trained dog. But I had me, uh, hundreds of lessons where 
the dog, I needed to teach the dog not to drag the person after a cat or a squirrel or a chipmunk. That's a leave it command. It can also pertain to <clears throat> you leave the donut on the coffee table and walk out of the room for whatever, and you don't want the dog to take your donut. Um, I just met a lady at a hike in the vineyard whose dog ate a chocolate uh, marijuana-filled brownie. Oh, yes, that's a double that whammy. Deadly, yes, right? between that's the double whammy, and the dog survived, but has never been the same. It's oh. really, it's it's not as healthy as it used to be. So the leave it command, and that's another thing I call it, uh, the dog god. Um, you, you could teach a dog to leave it. If we put things on the table and here she went to sniff, I'd say leave it and she would turn away. But if we left stuff on the table and left the room, that's a whole other story. And that's what I referred to. I kind of created the, the concept of the dog god. The dog god sees all, all the time and doesn't like it when you take my stuff off the coffee table. Mm -hmm. And the way I set that up, so for example, if we had a stool or a chair in that corner, left the door open and put a mirror there, and we went into the hallway, and then I put not just a donut or a hot dog on the table, but a Tupperware container that's perforated with the hot dog in it because you don't want the dog to self-reward and get that hot dog, swallow it quickly, then you chastise it from the dog's perspective. It's still worth it. It was worth it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. It's a good child. So what I what you do is you have it in the Tupperware container and you go out of the room and the dog looks around, says nobody can see me. And just as the nose touches that, I can be outside the room and have two metal pots and I bang them together. I say nothing. The dog screws itself through the ceiling and startlement, but <laughs> relates that startlement to trying to take the thing off the table. I come in the room later, I had nothing to do with it. The dog god doesn't like it when you take my stuff. <laughs> Hi, sweetheart, how you doing, dog? So that kind of concept, that's what I call the dog god concept. It's a very important concept. Well, it's kind of like the... the, the um the, the collar, the electronic, you know, the electric collar. fence. They hear the sound first before they ever get zapped, the, and the sound makes. Them that's stop, right. right. And but what's important with that is the flags have to get a negative association initially. So what I'll do, I'll bring an apprentice, and I have an apprentice on the island who I'm very fond of, and he'll sit behind the flags, and when the owner approaches the flags, he'll maybe bang the flags and yell, and the owner runs away from the flags praising the dog. So it starts to get in, mm. and we do this in the whole perimeter of the, the, the flags, and then you go, and you do it where the dog heard the beep, just as the dog heard the beep, Somebody gets angry with the flags and the dogs retreat. So that yeah, the, the electronic <laughs> fence is is a good item. It it really if you yeah. Uh, Tom, not to get sidetracked here, but you mentioned the story about the marijuana brownie, and now with marijuana possession legal uh, and sales legal in Massachusetts, uh, what should dog owners know about marijuana and dogs, both consumption and secondhand exposure? Uh, for consumption, I would say treat it like garlic or onions, um, things that dogs that really can be somewhat toxic yeah, to dogs. to be kept uh, away. Raisins, and you would treat the marijuana the same way. You really don't want the dog consuming it. As to secondhand exposure, you know, I haven't read very much about that, and I, there's no, there's no real, there are no real conclusions, so I really don't know how to answer that, mm. honestly. Um... Don't blow it in the dog's face. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's probably a good rule of thumb in general. Yeah, right. Uh, right. Uh, each of us uh, has a dog, and each of us, I assume, has some issue with the dog we'd like to address. My dog is 14 years old. She's a mutt, part chihuahua, part dachshund, part beagle, we think. She's about 14 pounds, and she's a very anxious dog. Rescue dog. Uh, doesn't do nervous wetting, but shakes a lot, and when people come over, she loses her mind. She barks and barks and barks and barks. Never goes after them, but barks nonstop until they're gone. Uh, How would you go about handling that? Uh, <laughs> that, what I would do is, does, uh, what's the dog's name? Lily. Lily. Does Lily like treats? Yes. Um, does she get people food in the house? Rarely. Rarely. If the so kids that, drop some. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, uh, that can be a leave-it command. And one of the questions I often ask when 
when they call me for some help with their dog, I ask, if you're eating baby back ribs and a rib slips off the table and falls on the floor can, and the dog gets it, can you take it from the dog? That's an important question. That involves what's called resource guarding or um, possessive aggression. That's like going near the food bowl when the dog is eating. Mm -hmm. My suggestion right off the top, as opposed to stop her from barking and go negative, have at the foyer to your house or before the, the guest enters, give them little tiny pieces of people food treats. And when they come in the house, immediately have maybe, ha immediately have them call Lily over and toss a couple of little pieces of chicken on the floor. Mm. And then maybe sit down and, uh, and call Lily over and have her start earning these, does she know what sit means and comply? Yes, yes. Okay, have Lily sit and get a treat. and. If, if you do this often enough, Liam, the Lily may start looking forward to your guests coming over. You know what I'm saying? So, so you're just saying have the guests so give her the guests because if you give – you see, that brings up another extremely important concept, the inadvertent rewarding of unwanted behavior. Mm -hmm. People inadvertently reward behavior in their dogs they don't like without realizing it all the time. I've trained 100 celebrities dogs. I've had, I was with an actress, did 120 shows of Victor Victoria on Broadway and gave me no voice intonation for 40 minutes. It was making me nuts. So I said to this lady, here's what I'd like you to do. Curse at the dog. I said, embarrass me, but I want the dog to think it's being praised. I made her act. Paula. Hi, you piece of dirt. You're just so ugly and stupid. I hate dogs. Yes, I do. <laughs> now, she's very happy with what I'm saying. Paula Jean is on his lap right now. It's, it's how. It's happy. So dogs read body and voice, and training a dog is letting the dog know you like the behavior as it's happening. One of the seven types of aggression is territoriality. Um, Lady Paula, when somebody comes to your house, does your dog bark? Yes. John, does yes. your dog bark? Yes. Anybody here have a dog doesn't bark when somebody comes to <laughs> No. Okay. She became territorial after sitting in your waiting room for about 15 minutes. Somebody had the audacity to come in. She barked. How and dare was now, they? Right. Exactly. So many, a thousand times in my career, I've looked to enter a house and the owner is holding the dog back on the leash and the dog wants to eat my kneecap, is very aggressive. Invariably, all of the owners, what are they doing? They're petting the dog saying, it's okay, it's okay, take it easy, it's okay. Dogs read body language and voice. Your body language is rewarding this behavior, not to mention your voice. So that's the inadvertent rewarding of unwanted behavior. Well, one last one. There are no bad dogs, just bad owners, true or false? False. Um, well, uh, false with some caveats. Maybe two to four or five times a year, I had a dog that was really dangerous. And I had to tell these people, which is a horrible day, this dog needs to be euthanized because it's really da dangerous. So there are some dogs that perhaps as a puppy, um, could have been reared properly and it wouldn't have been so aggressive, but then we have mental institutions for people who are uh, mentally ill. Mm. We don't have those institutions for dogs, and there are, in that case, there are, there are bad dogs that just don't genetically, well. that are not good dogs. I mean, I'm Would you just name two breeds for me? Best breed, in general, best breed for a family with young children, and the best breed to have in an apartment, if you're like a 30-year-old alone in a small apartment. The best, one of the, one of the best breeds, and, and any breed can, re any dog can really, of any breed can be a great dog. Um, Cavalier King Charles Spaniels okay, yep. are really mm -hmm. smart. They're not the rocket scientists of the world. Cavalier, you know, but great with breeders, uh, nothing. I apologize, but that's been my experience. <laughs> I have a lot of yep. experience. Um, but I had a Cavalier. It's been my wife's favorite dog forever. Nice. Um, yeah. That was very well trained and very cooperative. Uh, I would also, there's a mistaken, you know, people think I couldn't get a big dog. I live in a studio. Right. The fact of the matter is a dog's exercise is not 
in the house. Mm. You know, you take the Great Dane living in his studio, it doesn't matter the size. The exercise is gone or outside. So you can have a big dog in a little place. For old people, I suggest get a small dog. I deal with too many people. You get a Labradoodle and you're 78 years old, you, get, you may get pulled yeah. down. You got a shattered elbow. I had that recently. I tell mm. older people, get small dogs. Um, listen, I had a weightlifter who got standing uh, on a sidewalk on the ice, you know, got, shattered his elbow with a 12-pound dog. That just gave me a yank and he slipped. Yeah. You know, as the bumper stickers say, stuff happens and you, you can prepare <laughs> for that. Tom Shelby uh, has a new book out, Dog Training Diaries, Proven Expert Tips and Tricks to Live in Harmony with Your Dog. If I could tell you a second about the book. Yes. Um, I wrote the book because, as I said, this was the greatest job in the world. I helped an awful lot of people. And the manuals that I've read, most manuals are boring. And this particular, the way I wrote this in parables, I got a million stories. So I didn't say, if you want to teach a dog to heal, this is what you do. I tell the story when I'm walking with a woman in Manhattan, and she's basically running to keep up with the dog. And through my lesson to her, I explain how to teach a dog to Mm. heal. And it's it's told in parables with a lot of funny stories. And the feedback I've gotten so far is very, very positive. People said, I love this story. I loved it when you said to the mafioso wife who said to me, um, you're more expensive mon- than my shrink. And I said to her, yeah, but I'm getting results. <laughs> she was not very happy with that. So I, I tell lots of these stories. I, like I said, I, I'm a very lucky guy. I've been paid to play intelligently with dogs. doesn't get better. And, you know, I apologize for my initial question. What I should have said is, I like dogs better than people. President Company okay. acceptance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm with you, John. Okay. <laughs> Good deal, Tom. Thank you Thanks, for being Tom. here. Thank, Thank you. you, Tom. That's them is the way the WBAZ shooting news department works. Uh, so for Super Bowl week, this was a jam-packed podcast. From uh, dogs to the economy to uh, Levin Reed from Atlanta. We had everything. After all, what else matters than the it's content true. of this podcast today? True. Nothing. Dogs, football, and money. Your finances. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay, love. I would say love, but that love. comes that, under the that heading comes, of that dogs. That comes with dogs. There and you go. football. Dogs there you equal go. love. Uh, so this was great, and we hope that you'll continue to subscribe and share. Give us a rating and review. Tell people about at Studio BZ Pod. I'm at Paula Eben WBZ on Twitter. At Keller at Large. And at Liam WBZ. Subscribe, share, tell your friends. And listen next week when we'll We'll be seeing you. you. (laughs) That was great. That was excellent. (laughs) It scared the dog.